Come on, somebody say amen. Come on, somebody say like you mean it now. Amen. Can we just get into it? We just get into it. I had another experience with God this week. Somebody said, "Mm mm-hmm. And I was here all week trying to figure out what I'm going to have so many messages. It's just hard to really get the one that God wants you to give. Amen. And uh, I, was, I was wrestling with myself all week long. And it came. I was here Thursday. And usually I try and take Friday and Saturday to myself. And, uh, and I was here on Thursday. And I couldn't get nothing all day. I was so upset, so frustrated. I was on the way to the hospital to, to visit my grandfather. And then God wanted to talk to me. I can't stand when God wants to talk to me when I'm not ready to talk. You ever had a problem with somebody and then they go, you want to talk? Not right now, I'm just not ready. That's how I am with Jesus sometimes. And he was like, hey, hey, hey. And I'm just like, not now. I'm on the phone with my sister. And I'm dealing with all types of stuff. And I'm driving, breaking the law. Now you want to talk to me? You know, and it was just all messed up. And he began to impart into my spirit. And he said, there's too many people in the church who their emotions are stealing their destiny. I might get in some trouble today. But that's all right. He said, have you ever point, uh, been a, to a point in your life that you realized how you felt about things stopped you from completing more important things than what you felt about? In other words, you've been majoring in the minors, as they say, and minoring in the majors. Somebody say, amen. He said, well, the spiritual equation of that is that you are letting your emotions rob your destiny. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 1. If you have a pen, a highlighter, or something, and you are a good Christian taking notes, don't just only write this down. I want you to highlight this, mark it in your Bible. Do whatever you have to do. This is scripture. It's very important. It might just change your life. Amen. I think scripture is something that's very, very important that people should read on their own times. It's amazing what you can find in the Bible. I'll tell you, all types of good stuff in there, just about murder. You know, you, you talk about soap operas. I mean, the Bible's full of sex, murder, and drugs. I mean, just, I'm just kidding, but... Help us, Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 1. It reads this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, meaning Jesus. I want you to read that with me. Read that. Do not let your hearts be. Now somebody shout, troubled. Say, trust in God. I want to read that again with everybody. I want you to sow this into your spirit. Say it as strong as you can. Do not. Let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Tell the person next to you, trust in God. Tell the other person on the other side, trust in God. Everybody at some point in time in your life is facing a situation that you need to trust God. Amen. Many of you are facing that situation right now. Many of you are in that position right now where you need to continue trusting God. If you're not trusting God already, then you are in the process of continuing to trust God. Amen. And so as I analyzed this scripture, I realized the key word in this scripture was not trust. It was not don't let your hearts be troubled. It wasn't trust in me, trust in God. It was let, that one word let. It told me I have a choice to be a sissy and let everything in the world bother me or to man up and just say, I'm not going to worry about these little petty things in my life that have got no bearing on my life. I can't worry about what somebody said about me, what somebody did to me, what somebody thinks about me. Good God knows that I have a choice to get mad, to get offended, to get glad, to do whatever I want. I'm going to choose to trust God. You with me? Are you sure? 
I want to encourage you today. I want to uplift your spirit. And some of you just might get convicted. You have to understand that Christians are professionals. At, at they, they develop permanent emotions because of temporary situations. In case you don't know what I mean, somebody upsets you. And for the next year, you just have something with that. Because Christians are professionals at developing just hurt feelings. And then all the while, God wants you to do something greater. And that person is a part of what God designs for you to do. But because you can't get past if so-and-so offended me, I might get in some trouble today. I might get in some trouble today. Too many Christians walk by emotions and not by conviction. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. I'm reminded of something Minister Jose said one day. Uh, how many of you desire God's direction in your life? Come on, if you desire God's direction, say amen. I don't know about you, but I desire God's correction in my church, in my pastoral call, in, in my home life, in my relationship, in my family life, in my financial life. I want God's direction. In my, I want to know that I'm going the right way. How many of you want that in your life? Direction comes from correction. Something many of us don't like. Nobody can tell us anything about ourselves. I told God the other day, I said, we're having a huge meeting next week. Uh, all the ministry workers, whether they clean the bathroom, stand by the door, whatever you do, we're going to be here next week. We're going to talk about some big changes we're making in the church. And I said to God, God, show me how to make my church better. So he showed me everything that was wrong with it. I said, well, gee, thanks. And he said, well, you want to make it better. How can you get better at the good things? You need to get better at the bad things first. And so I, I had to understand, I could have got offended by God and say, I'm mad at you, I'm not going to pray for a week. Or I had to take that correction into a direction in my life. You understand what I'm saying? If you're taking notes, got an iPod phone, something, whatever, you, write that down on your phone. Put that on your Facebook. Direction comes from correction. Are you with me today? So our emotions are in the process of deceiving ourselves. And they steal the purpose of God in your life. Too many people get influenced by what we know, or rather what we feel, rather than what we know to be true. Somebody say, how I feel is not always true. It is amazing how your feelings, now somebody work with me here. It's amazing how your feelings can make you reject the people you love. Your feelings can make you hate the people you need the most and push away the people who are always have the best intentions for you in your life. You understand what I'm saying today? Your feelings, just to satisfy a moment of you feeling hurt or violated, will get you to the point where you ruin some of the greatest things in your life. Listen up, married folks. The smallest of things will have the biggest of impact and five years later you're still talking about what he said that day and how they offended you and you left a scar in my heart that will never heal. We do it too. I'm getting there. I don't know if that's conviction or just emotion. I couldn't tell. And so, and so then you have people who won't get along with their boss because their boss corrected them on something they did wrong. 
And then you never receive promotion in your job, not because you're not good, not because you're not favored by God, but because of the way you feel stops you from associating and working with the people you need to work with to get to the place you need to get to. And it hinders you from being a productive, efficient worker, even in your job. And you will never see growth and promotion. And then what happens is you have to leave your job, start a new place, and start all over. And you're saying, God, I don't know why I'm going through so much stuff. If you would just put your emotions to the side for just a moment, God would be able to operate in you so that you can find favor. Somebody shout favor in your life. If you would allow God to, to dictate your life and not to, that you wouldn't sit there and just, you know, put all your own feelings into it. I realized many months ago that it was myself who got me into trouble in the first place. So I don't need to help myself. I need God to help me. Somebody say amen. Jesus said, don't let. That lets me know that I have, somebody say, a choice. Your emotions can cause you to resent people you love. Somebody say, "Uh uh-huh, man, you got to help me out here. Gossip about people you care about. And it'll make you reject the people you need all because you feel some type of way about some type of situation. I hope somebody's getting something from this today. Have you ever been confused about something in your life? Ever been to the point where you were confused about how you're supposed to feel about something? Something was just so messed up in your life, so messed up in your spirit, you just like, I just don't know how to feel. I've come to the conclusion we never don't know how to feel. We just don't like the way we're supposed to feel. And so then we try and put that in contrast to how we desire to feel. Well, on this side, God says, forgive and forget. And we're just like, I can't, Lord. I can't. I don't know what to do, Pastor. What do you mean? Jesus said, forgive. Y'all with me? Confusion is the lie. There is no such thing as confusion. The definition by spirituality of confusion is not following God's choice for your life. You with me? Somebody say amen. How many people right now in this room know that you are dealing with emotional issues in your life? The Word of God is full of stories of men who misplaced their emotions into their destiny. Your emotions don't belong in your destiny. I'll give you an example. Because Adam could not push past his emotions for his wife Eve, he followed her into sin and lost destiny for all mankind. Because Cain could not get over his emotions that God accepted his brother Abel's offering better, he killed his brother and was a marked man thrown out of the kingdom of God forever. Why? Because their emotions were misplaced. Because Moses got upset and God told him to do a certain thing and instead he smacked the rock with his stick for water to come out, he lost the promise. He never saw the promise. Why? Because his emotions were intermingled with his destiny. And because he allowed for things to upset him, for things to get to him, and walk around with a chip on their shoulder, and not be able to operate because of how they felt, somebody say, I feel. Don't you get tired of talking to people, I feel like this, or I feel like that, or I feel this way, or I feel that way. At the end of the day, it matters what God wants you to feel, amen? One of these such stories is the story of the King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel, and Israel always wanted a king. God never wanted Israel to have a king because he wanted to be number one in their life. So finally, God said, I'll give you a king. He gave him a great man named Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Somebody say Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was the smallest tribe in Israel, and, and, and 
Saul was the kind of man you would want to be king. He was tall. He, was, he looked the part. He walked the walk. He talked the talk. But Saul had a problem. Somebody say a problem. Saul wanted to please men because he cared how people felt about him. I got past the point of how people felt about me about two and a half years ago. That I got to the point where I realized not everybody going to like me. And let me tell you something. If everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. At some point, I was driving with Minister Melvin just the, just the other day, and he said to me, Pastor, has anybody come to you yet and said something about what I told them? And I said, what'd you say? Well, nothing. I just mean in general. But at least he knew at some point somebody's not going to agree with the God advice he gives them. And so he's prepared. He's waiting for somebody. He's going to be like, all right, I knew it was coming. God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. That's the mindset to have. Jesus said that as Christians, we will go through persecution for his name. Whether it's people at your job making fun of you, whether it's people in your family, your own cousins making fun of you, people, let me say this, in your church who don't like you because of the position you hold and they don't think you're qualified. And because they don't think you're qualified, because they don't feel you're qualified, they won't listen to the words you say and they will never progress in the kingdom of God and will be a baby Christian until they're 20 years old. I'm going to leave this one alone. Somebody say, my good. Mm-hmm. Are you with me today? So Saul, at one point, God told him to go to war with the Amalekites and destroy everything. He told him to kill everything. Kill every last person, every animal, everything, everything, everything. Somebody say everything. Saul didn't do it. He left some animals to sacrifice. He took the king, and he was going to have the king go be a slave in his household and all this stuff. And then Samuel, the prophet, comes and he says, why haven't you done what God told you to do? And he said, well, I was afraid of the people, and I wanted to give a sacrifice. And Samuel said, obedience is better than sacrifice. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And then God told Samuel, I have rejected Saul as king. So now Saul is He's going to lose the position of king. God took the anointing away from his life because his emotions he could not control. You seeing where I'm going with this? Let me bring you to a point now where David has just killed Goliath. Saul, according to God now, by man's standards, Saul is the king, but God has taken the anointing out. And the Bibles begin to tell us of a story of Saul where it says this, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. That messed me up. I understood the evil spirit and I understood from the Lord. But when you put them together, I could not understand an evil spirit from the Lord. There's a scripture in Isaiah and all the prophets go before God and all the angels of heaven. The Bible describes it as the heavenly host. And he says, who's going to go torment the king? And the evil spirit comes into the midst and says, I'll do it. And so it, it took me to understand that when God has a meeting, even the devil has to attend. <laughs> and that if God can tell the angels to go somewhere, he can tell the devil what to do also. And sometimes the things you're going through just might be God saying, go get that person because they're so far outside my will that I have got to set them straight. And so the Bible says that David came in and played his harp. And every time David played the harp, he played anointed music because David now had just been anointed king. He was 13 years old and he was told, you're going to be a king. That would mess me up if I was 13. I'd be like, all right, we've got to start building roads. 
going to fix some of these potholes. And, but David remained right in his place. Although you are anointed does not mean you are appointed. Are you with me? If you're taking notes, write that down. If you're not, God forgive you and get a CD. 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 16. We're going to breeze through this. David has just killed Goliath. He was 13 years old, killed a giant. And it says this in verse 6. When the men were returning home, meaning the army, after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs, tambourines and lutes. And as they danced, they sang, David has slain his thousands, or Saul rather, has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now, this upset Saul, because David had killed one giant, one nine-foot giant. His spear of Saul weighed 125 pounds. Understand, a warrior at that time could throw a spear 30, 40 yards. And his weighed 125 pounds. His armor was a couple hundred pounds alone. And David took one stone, knocked him out, took his own sword, chopped his head off, killed one person. And the women come out singing this song. Verse 8 reads this, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. Somebody say thought. But me only with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a, this is a big word, jealous eye on David. I challenge you right now, if not people in this church, people in your life, people in your family, keep a jealous eye on you. People who don't like your success keep a jealous eye on you. Somebody who you upset years ago keep a jealous eye on you. Somebody who in your life who you thought was your friend, they keep you close, but they keep a jealous eye on you. And the moment you step out into God's anointing, they will begin to open their flappers about you. The moment you get promoted at the workplace is when somebody wants to talk about you because they've kept that jealous eye. It's hard for anybody to see when they are jealous. Jealousy is always rooted in someone being uh, um, insecure in their position. Jealousy is rooted in your insecurities when you're threatened by somebody else in your life. I realized something concerning jealousy over the course of the last three days. Jealousy has got nothing to do with the person you are jealous about and everything to do with the condition of your heart. Jealousy has got nothing to do with who you are jealous of and everything to do with what's going on in here. You with me? Saul was losing control over his emotions. One of the offspring of of losing control of emotions is jealousy. Because once you're insecure and in where you're at, you look around, you get jealous of everybody. You begin to look at everybody with a, with a different eye in your life. You begin to say, well, what, a, what makes them so, what makes Mike so great? Or what, what, makes, what makes Danny so great? Or what makes Robert so great? What makes Minister Melvin so great? Who are they? Are you with me? 
Why, why, why should we talk about jealousy today? Jealousy destroys churches. Jealousy destroys leadership. Jealousy destroys everything. It was jealousy that came into Satan's heart when he was the, he was the worship leader of all heaven. And it destroyed heaven's choir because jealousy gave birth to pride. Pride gave birth to rebellion. Because he said, I should be the one getting worshipped. He lost control of his emotions. And his emotions stole his destiny. I've told our praise and worship team, jealousy will destroy us if we let it in. I'm hard on the worship team. I correct them all the time. If you can't take the correction, then you're never going to have direction. Are you with me? Jealousy can rip your family apart. It can rip your job life apart. How many ever know there's people at your job who are jealous about you? You know what? I, I've used her last week. I have to use her again. I know there's thousands of people in the city of Bridgeport with their bootleg little salons and their messed up little barbershops who are jealous of my cousin Jessica. There's no two ways. To, they, they'll say it. They'll say it behind her back. They'll say it to me not knowing I'm her cousin. And they'll say it to people. There's somebody going to be jealous of you. There's going to be somebody jealous of, there's somebody, you know what, I, I ran into a situation where we have a fantastic painter in our church, it happens to be Mr. Melvin, he owns his own paint company, and, and somebody who calls themselves a painter came in here and like, oh, I could have done a better job. It was a root of, oh, why didn't you call me? Because I got somebody better, that's why. And the root of their concern was, they were insecure now, realizing I wasn't going to call them for no more jobs, and they lost out on something. So when insecurity Roots into jealousy. Jealousy breaks apart things. And jealousy will rip apart your family, your job life. And it can stop you from God. Saul's choice in that emotion was jealousy. This is one of the many emotions that you might deal with in life. So verse 10 says it again. The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying. In his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Bad emotions in your life can make you react badly to the anointed people in God. Bad emotions can make you not like your leadership, your youth pastors, your bosses, and people all around you. Bad emotions that make you not respect your husbands or, or love your wives, so to speak. Bad emotions will destroy you, not knowing how to handle those emotions. Amen? Understand when it says he was prophesying. In the original Hebrew context, when you read this, he wasn't really praying. He was pretending to pray, and he was putting on a facade of prayer. How many of you know people who act like that, like they're praying to God? and You know they got so many things going on, uh-huh. And so then what happens is he was pretending to be something he was not. I was driving down the street just the other day and I realized something. That this tree I was looking at, I didn't know what kind of tree it was. Does anybody know why I couldn't tell what kind of tree it was? Because there was no leaves on the tree. The leaves tell you what kind of tree it was if you're not one of those persons who studies trees. And so I began to think about somebody who would come into my church, so to speak, and, and tell me, oh, pastor, I can do this, 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 that, and the third. I'm an apple tree, and I can make you apple juice, and I can make you, I can make you apple cider, and I can help you make some apple pie, and I can do this. And then summer comes along, when the fruit comes out, they're a banana tree. And you find out people aren't who they say they are. All right, I'm going to leave that alone. 
And then you find out next thing, you're an orange tree. You're way off. You're a prune tree. Oh, my God. You're just a grapevine. You're not really what I needed. I wanted apple juice. And people turn out to be not who they say they were. And then their bad emotions come out when they can't live up to their own record of themselves. Y'all following me? And Saul's falling into all these problems with his bad emotions. Proverbs 1, or Proverbs 14, verse 30. This is a powerful scripture. A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy rots your bones. Envy rots your bones. But a heart at peace gives life to the body. If you ever come to me with a situation, I'll tell you one of three things. One of those things will always be pray that God's peace comes upon you. Because a heart at peace gives life to the body. Are you with me? Saul's cataclysmic fall from power and grace was rooted in following emotions and not God. And in the end, he grew jealous of God's people all around him. Saul, I was, I was talking to, to, to a brother this week, and Saul had a syndrome. Saul was only willing to do what he was able to do. How many of you know that you were willing to do for God what you were able to do, amen? Well, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a problem because if you're willing to do what you're able to do, if you're able to do it, then why do you need God to help you do it? And so it eliminates the necessity of God. I am willing to do everything I'm not able to do because I know that I can only do it through God and take no credit when it's done. <coughs> Saul wanted God's direction, but not that correction when he was wrong. Many believers have adopted that policy of I will do for God what I am able to do. And it negates God having to help them. Amen. We've got to address those bad emotions in our heart towards your family, your friends, your church family, your leaders, and everyone else that might be in your life. Christians don't have the right to live offended. Got quiet. Christians don't have the right to live offended. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a series of scriptures. Manny, if you could pull these up really quickly. Whoever's back there, pull it up really quickly. Um, give me 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Somebody say, emotions are necessary. Say it again. Emotions are necessary. The key to it is which emotions. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love, somebody say love, is a necessary emotion. Romans 12, 12. Romans 12, 12. Say love is a necessary emotion. Romans 12, 12 reads this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Hope is a necessary emotion. Somebody shout necessary. Give me Philippians 4, 4. Hope, if you don't have hope, you have nothing in your life. When things look bad, you have a choice. Am I going to lose faith or am I going to have my hope? Hope is the net that catches you after faith fails. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Joy is a necessary emotion. Are you with me? 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. There is an emotion called sorrow that is necessary. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. My God, so many people say, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm not worthy of God. I'm not worthy. I, you need some godly sorrow to lead you into repentance that leads you into some, uh, some salvation and leaves you with no regrets in your life. Sorrow is a necessary emotion. Proverbs 8.13. 
This one might just mess with you really quickly. Uh, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. <clears throat> I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and evil and perverse speech. Somebody say this with me. Hate is a necessary emotion. You need to hate things in your life. You need to hate sin. You need to hate messing up. You need to hate falling into the same situation. You need to hate your bad emotions. You need to hate. To, hate is a necessary emotion. Matthew 10, verse 28. There is a necessity for the emotion, not the spirit, the emotion of fear. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. Talking about God. Fear God with a godly reverence and respect. There is a place for your emotions in God. Now, you may ask yourself, well, how do I know if it's a good emotion or if it's a bad emotion? Scriptural emotions, good emotions must bear fruit. Write that down, take notes. Good emotions must bear fruit. You with me? Give me John chapter 14, verse 15. Unless the proper fruit is born, it is simply what you would call emotionalism, living by your emotions. So your good emotions need to bear fruit so your bad emotions don't come in the way of your destiny in God. John 14, 50, if you love me, you will obey me. What does the emotion of love bring fruit? Obedience. When you love God, all the bad things around you will not affect you. You will go in the path of God and you will obey God. Love brings the fruit of obedience. Are you with me? 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Love brings obedience. So is why if you love somebody, you will obey them. If you love your parents, you will obey them. If you love your wife, your husband, you will help them and work with them. You will be in obedience. If you love your boss, you love them with a godly love, you will obey them whether they're right, whether they're wrong. When you love the people around you, your brother, your sister, you will help them and you will be in obedience to God's will and you will be a blessing to them if you would learn how to channel your emotions. This is love for God to obey his commands. Love for God is not telling him, I love you. I want to blow you kisses, Jesus. I want to give you a hug, Lord. Oh, I wish Jesus was here so I could hug him. Think about it. Love brings obedience of his commandments. If your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, you know what used to really mess with my life? I'm doing this because I love you. And then they would beat me. I believe it was my minister Carmen, my aunt, who would, who would discipline her kids with a, with a belt and then say, come on, give me a hug. That wasn't you? Who was that? One of our aunts. Oh, it was Rose. There we go. It was Rose. Smacked her kids and like, come on, give mommy a hug. Who do you love? If you don't say mommy, it's going to be like, ah! That would mess with me. I, I couldn't understand how that's love. Growing up now, I understand. I don't have to tell somebody I love. You know what? I don't ever have to doubt if someone loves me if they do what I tell them and listen to what I say. But when they, and they don't ever have to tell me, oh, I love you. Be wary of people who tell you too much they love you because they will never respect you, never obey you, and they're only a talker, never a doer of God's word. Oh, I love you. I love you, but I'm not going to respect you. I'm going to cuss you up, talk to you like you're dirt, and treat you like garbage. Backstab you behind your back. You with me? Ada, Ada is in the building. 
And you got to understand that somebody who loves you will obey your household rules. They will obey what you say about your kids. And they won't take your kids no place that you don't want them to go. People who love you will obey you. If you have a problem obeying somebody, don't you dare tell them they love you. Y'all with me? The scripture says, and this is love to God, that you will obey his commandments. Not that you come to church and worship and put on that facade, but that you obey his commandments. Romans 8, 24 and 25, man, you're too slow, come on. <laughs> the emotion of hope breed, uh, bears fruit in the realm of patience. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope gives birth to patience. Y'all should be taking these scriptures that I'm telling you, man. You're going to come to a situation this week, you know, I need some hope, Lord. Most of the time you need hope. Why? Because time is running out on a situation that you put on God, a time frame. And so when that hope runs out on the situation of, of that person that you love so much, you give them an ultimatum. Now that time is running out. Now you need to have patience. This is common sense, but we don't, we don't put it into practice that way. We have to have a pastor stand up and break it down for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 5. Amen? And it says this, the emotion of joy bears fruit in the realm of sacrifice. Read this. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing, meaning the church's joy, and their extreme poverty wells up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping God's will. Because of their joy, they joyfully sacrificed the things in their life to give it to God and work for the kingdom. Their joy pushed them beyond the point of realizing their issue at the moment. And they said, I know I have this issue, but I know that if I went to church and I helped out clean that place up, and I know I have a mess in my car, that maybe God will give me money to have somebody go take my car to get washed. That's joy, faith, and sacrifice all in the same thing. And then some people come to church upset and they help you out upset. Or some people do at your job, they'll do what you say if you're the boss, but they'll do it upset. And then you might as well not have done it at all. Y'all with me? Joy bears fruit in sacrifice. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. <laughs> Somebody say, sorrow bears fruit in repentance. My goodness, this is good. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to, so sorrow brings repentance. The emotion of hate Psalms 119, verses 127 and 128. 119, 127, 128. The emotion of hate, watch this, because I love your commands, he's talking to God, more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I considered all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. My goodness, hate will bring you to hate doing the wrong thing. 
Hating sin, hating upsetting God, hating being outside of God's will will make you hate the wrong path. And when you are on it, you will hate it. And you will be miserable in your life. Which would make you be sorrowful. And we just learned that sorrow brings repentance. So there is a recipe, so to speak, here. Proverbs 16.6, the emotion of fear makes you depart from evil. How many of you know I need to depart from evil in my life? The emotion of fear, Proverbs 16.6 says this, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Through having respect for God, when one is led by the thoughts and intents of one heart, of, of their own heart, remember the warning given in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. If you open, have your Bible with you, mark this in your Bible. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It gives another warning living upon your emotions. And, it's, and it reads this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I don't know where the lie came about that you should just follow your heart. The Bible says that God loved David above many men. Why? Because he was a man after God's heart and not after his own heart. The lie of the enemy is to get you to follow your heart. Have a Kodak moment. Sip a glass of wine while standing by the candlelight and wait for Romeo to come get you. Follow your heart. The devil is a liar. One last one for you. Proverbs 3 verse 5. Proverbs 3, 5 reads this, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. The Bible tells you to ask God for peace that passes all understanding, so you don't have to understand it, because you will never understand everything. So, in retrospect, the Bible tells you then, in Proverbs 3, 5, lean not on your own understanding. You're with me. The situations we face in life, that are designed to build our character, teach us a lesson. Amen? The proof that we have learned the lesson is when our emotions react differently when the similar situation comes up. If you still react this year the same way to somebody or something, the same way you acted last year, you are in a place where you have not grown in your spirit at all. Are you with me? If the situation you face now, you react even worse than you did last year, you have regressed in your spirit. Now, if you can walk up to somebody who really hurt you and have no feeling about it and be fine with them, you have progressed in your relationship with God. Amen? It's just so ironic that many of us constantly react the same way to so many similar situations that we've already faced. Most people learn from their mistakes. I remember my father would always tell me, learn from my mistakes. Don't do what I did. How many of your parents ever told you that? Don't do what I did. Makes you wonder, well, who was your parents? <laughs> Don't do what they did. I mean, I want to be a parent where I can say, Live, listen, listen, do what I did. And live by God's way. Do what I did and chase after God. Do what I did and just trust in God no matter what. Do what I did. 
and act differently. Come on, stand with me, musicians, come on. So here we are. What's the date today? December 5th? About to go into 2011. Somebody say, oh my goodness. And so many of us are dealing with the same old emotions from 2008. The same bad attitude from 2009. The same attitude towards correction that we had in 2000 and every day of our lives, you know. Are your emotions your problem? Or are you having problems with your emotions? Come on, play me something spiritual, man. Some like Zorro music or something. Just came out with that Zorro music. Amen? Come on, grab somebody's hand. I'm challenging you right now to change the way you react to situations. No altar call, nothing holy, nothing great, nothing big. Change the way you react to situations. Somebody say, I am going to do my best to change the way I'm acting about every situation in my life. You believe that? I believe you can do it. You can be a whole different person. Amen? Come on, bow your heads right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this household. We thank you, Lord, for everything you are doing that you may have your will, God, is above everything that we need right now. We're praying right now, God, that you would take over, take control, God, that when a situation may arise, that we can react differently to it. That we can believe, we can just know, God, that you are with us. That we don't have to act the same way we used to act. That we don't have to be the same person, God. But we can be different, Lord. We can be different. Somebody say, I can be different. I don't have to stay in my emotional prison. God, help us right now. Father, we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And we know there is power in that name. And your word tells us, God, that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. That your son, Jesus Christ, is Lord. That every power, every principality, every demon, every spirit has got to submit to that name. So right now, Father, we submit to the name of Jesus in this place. Come on, somebody shout amen. Come on, put your hands together for God.